1: This is the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
0: Hello and welcome to episode two of the Alamy's Everton podcast and I think you'll enjoy what we've got lined up for you today. Uh, coming up, I've been speaking to former Everton manager David Moyes, who talks about his time at the club, how it all began, the players, the teams and the incidents of his 11 years at Goodison Park. We'll also hear from French striker Mikel Medar about his short but eventful time with Everton. Listen out for the story about when he was told it would be a good idea if he left the club. And in the second part of the show, we'll have an in-depth and exclusive interview with under-23 boss David Unsworth, who discusses his time as a player and playing for David Moyes and talks us through a double winning season, of course, for his under-23 youngsters. So a packed show to get through, let's get to it. And first, I went up to Lancashire for an afternoon with former boss David Moyes and he began
1: right back when he got the call to join Everton. I'll tell the story because we're not too far away from the place. There was a director at Blackpool Football Club and I used to go and watch lots of games around, all around the North West, especially because I was manager of Preston and even before that. And this old Scottish director used to always say to me, The Everton job's a job for you, son. And I used to say, oh, thanks, thanks. And, you know, but would it ever come up? Then when it did come up, Walter lost at Middlesbrough, I think it was, and the bongo drums started to go a little bit, and I started to hear one or two things. But Walter was, was one of my mentors and one of my friends and someone who I really respected. So when it came about, I was actually driving... Uh, have you got a long podcast here so that I can tell the story or is it a long one time, well, time. Uh, I was driving to watch Bristol Rovers play at Bristol Rovers and I had my I had my chief scout in the car who was Clive Middlemass at the time I'm trying to remember the name of the striker we were going to watch at Bristol Rovers and I should know this so we're driving down to Bristol Rovers and the phone rang and it was Bill Kenwright and he said uh, would you mind coming and seeing me I says when he says could you come right away I says, well, I'm on the way to Bristol Rovers. I says, and I'm not going to miss the game because I'm working for, uh, no, I'm manager of press and we're going to watch the centre forward. I says, I've got my chief scout in the car. He says, well, would you come after? I says, yeah, no problem. So there's us driving from Preston to Bristol. So we went and watched Bristol Rovers play. At the end of the game, jumped in the car and drove up to London where uh, where I met Bill and Jenny. And uh, Jenny made us a bit of, a bit of tea probably about I don't know <laughs> midnight it must have been the time we got to London one o'clock I sat and talked to Bill for, for an hour or two Clive, my chief scout had to sit in the other room and uh, I'd, we jumped in the car and, and within that me and Bill had sort of agreed that if he makes the change then I would, uh, I would take the job but going back to my, the point which I was going to say was the big thing was if Walter was going to lose the job and he was a friend of mine, it was going to be difficult for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, was it a quick process? Did you, you... You sort of made your mind up quickly? Yeah,
1: I made my mind up. I have to say, I had been offered... Uh, I'd been offered a lot of jobs prior to Everton. I'd met uh, Nottingham Forest, I'd met Southampton, Sheffield Wednesday, all those clubs who were all Premier League clubs at the time. Mm-hmm. I had met them, or, or they had phoned me, or I'd i been in touch with them. And I'd, in truth, I'd met those three clubs... Uh, Individually, privately, uh, but I never felt any of them were what I wanted to leave to leave Preston Because we had a really good club at Preston, a really good team and we were improving all the time But Everton was just too good uh, to miss Everton were always seen as one of the top, the big clubs in in England And when the opportunity came around, uh, it was just too good to miss I, I'm going to skip past the press conference and
0: the famous words and all the rest of it because yeah. it's been done, you know, done yeah. many, many times. What sort of a club did you walk into at Everton?
1: Do you think? Well, I, I said many times, "says Walter was my friend," but I think I walked into uh, quite an aging club. I think the process was to buy the best players, and they had they had great players you know. I walked into Gaz and Genoa and Duncan and Tommy Gravison and. And many, many more, uh, really, really top players. But I felt as if it was, it was, it wasn't youthful, and I thought as well there was no value on the pitch, and I thought that probably the budget was getting taken with wages, mm-hmm. and I thought, uh, could I try and turn this around and make it make it younger? So probably my first feeling walking into Everton was to say, this looked looked a bit too old, and I wanted to try and make it more youthful.
0: And, and how difficult was that? I mean, because I think at the time, really, you had to concentrate on.
1: Keeping it safe Had to win I mean the first game Obviously Unzi scores After 20, 20 seconds Fulham Against I think Fulham. Fulham Yeah then we Then we went away The next game We went away to Derby And uh, I think we won 6-2 in the day uh, I think it was In our, our 5-2 I remember me and Taff And Taff was great uh, Andy Holden at the time Was great Because he, he helped me a lot and So we got off To a flying start But then we went And lost at Newcastle The next game and we lost quite heavily. I think we lo- it, we maybe lost there 5 2 or 5 3. And uh, I remember Sir Bobby Robson uh, coming out in the media after it and saying, Yes, and it's welcome to the Premier League now for David Moyes. I was raging. I was raging. I said, I'll, I'll show you. You think, you know, I was so. Yeah. But it was also good because it showed me that, hey, you're not going to come in this league and think that winning a few games is going to make you uh, think that you've cracked it. So. It was a difficult period, but we did stay up, and it was uh, it was a it was a good way actually to start because I got seven or eight games as a manager before the end of the season.
0: And then you had the summer. What was your what was your sort of do you remember what your your,
1: your top priority was? And uh... I, I can't remember exactly. I think we needed a goalkeeper. Uh, I felt as if we needed a centre half, and and you know sometimes it's when you start to go back fifteen sixteen years, you don't always get things exactly right here. So. No, Joseph Yobo wasn't long in come in, we signed Richard Wright at the time. I, but I had a good knowledge of the championship and the better players. You know, I had taken Bill to see uh, Tim Cahill a bit later. You know, we had talked about Andy Johnston and all those players who, who were mate a lot of them were around the, the better players in the in the championship at the time. So they were really the priorities, but it was trying to sort of get rid of some of the players we had and move them on so that we, we created a bit of space to get some other players in. And how difficult was that? Because the, the second season wasn't the easiest either, was it? It wasn't It wasn't an easy start for you at Everton? No, it wasn't, but I think we're performance and where we finished in the league. I think mm. we... Did we finish, correct me, did we finish eighth in the league? I, got, I, you I, know, I, I don't know. No, so there you in go, areas. this is what happens. I think mm. we did. I think it was actually it's the season after this where we have a bit of a problem I think that's probably what you're, to, no you're right that's exactly uh, and, and that's it because we had a period I think and, and I might be jumping ahead here we had a period probably the first four or five years where it was a good year a bad year a good year a bad yeah. year yeah. Uh, until we levelled that out but I've got to say I think the first year wasn't too bad uh, but I think at the end of the first year we lost, maybe, maybe a bit further on, we lost to Manchester City in one of the last games. We lost five nil at Manchester mm. City, I think it was. I think that was the one I was referring yeah, to. and me. I think that it was maybe year two or three down the line. And that was the only time I thought, oh my goodness. But, you know, we had got Premier League safe by Easter. And actually, if you look back, I remember coming out and saying is, this club's just got into a, into a, a period of thinking that once we get safe, we'll get on the beach and we'll put our feet up and we're done. And that was what happened that year. I think once we get safe at Easter, I don't know if we won a game, hardly in the remaining games, which culminated in a in a, a heavy defeat at Man City. So my idea was to get completely rid of that culture. That culture was gone. we weren't going to be doing this again, and we were going to be finishing high, well. And I think probably from about that period on, there was a level of stability probably much greater than it'd been for a long time. I think you know
0: the, the the big accusation about Everton at the time then after that was that we punched above our weight I think mm-hmm. and, and I think that it could be come across as a bit disrespectful that, like, can't it at times I think,
1: you know, because y- you are where you are because of what you've done. Yeah. I think we punched above our weight because we weren't spending lots we weren't mm. probably seen as maybe the most fashionable team at the time. But the big thing is we were growing again. There were starting There was starting to be signs that we were improving. We'd started to bring through some of the younger players we'd talked about. Obviously, in this early period as well, we had Wayne in the team as well, which brought an awful lot of media to the club, which maybe we hadn't had good media really at Everton for, for many a years, really, since maybe even the great days. So for me there was lots of moments in the journey which which were really good for me helped the club, helped the team, helped me as well and uh, but I think more importantly once we got over that that sort of two, three four year period I think we were sort of in smoother waters as far as where we were going
0: How big, you mentioned Wayne there, how big a challenge was that to you, a young manager at the time you know in the Premier League Mm. and having to deal with such a such an explosion of a of, yeah. a of a story.
1: Well, it was difficult for me because everybody wanted a piece of Wayne at the time, and Wayne actually was there right from the start. In truth, because I'm now thinking back to when we start, you know, he played in the in the the FA Youth Cup against Tottenham. The, yeah. I watched it, at Goodison. I actually sat up in the gantry, and I remember the players going out in the pitch, and I had to come down off the gantry and back down the steps and across the pitch, and the players had come down for a cool down, and he was standing there, and I, and I remember walking past him and saying. Uh, you'll be with the first team next year and and at that time Wayne only went <laughs> 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 you know Wayne didn't, Wayne didn't speak at that time you know so uh, so then uh, as it was as you know you can see I think second last game of the season third game we had to call him into the squad at Southampton and Wayne was on the bench at Southampton acted like someone who this was normal to him so, really, from the start of next season, there was a lot of hype on Wayne. Uh, we were desperate to get him, see what he could do as well, because he was, he was an immense talent. I
0: mean, I remember Badger and myself saying, Can we do an interview? Can we yeah, do an interview? Yeah. And
1: I think one day we nearly fell
0: out because I think you'd heard that maybe we'd been trying to film around his house or something, yeah. you know, and I think we, we put it straight, and you know. Um, but I think we, we did actually, you ended up yeah. allowing me to come down and do the first interview, which yeah, this, was fantastic. And, and I think what I remember at the time is thinking, do you know what, David Moyes is right, You know because you've seen how terrified he was doing that interview. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of, it dawned on you why you'd protected him in the way that yeah. you had. And did you have to do that? Did you feel as though you had to do that?
1: I, I felt Wayne wasn't ready for it. And also I was hoping that, uh, that, you know, that we would try and bring him up the right way as far as, you know, being a professional, how you should do, yeah, did we, did we, it bothered us a little bit because I didn't want him getting above his station, mm-hmm. and it was difficult because, you know, we had, Wayne had Pepsi Cola, I think it was at the time, we had EA games, we had everybody wanting them, yeah. and I remember, uh, I, was, I remember one night, I, I think I fell out, we, it might have been Geoff's, or somebody at Sky, I think we were away from home, maybe down at, I don't know, if it was Charlton or somewhere at the time, and someone the camera was round his face and you know and I went mad with him because I think it was the end bit of the end of the game yeah, yeah. And, and I thought, you know, this isn't what I want for a young player. And all I had in my sort of la- library of a uh, sort of memory was to say when I was a player at Celtic, I, I watched the way Celtic looked after Charlie Nicholas. Mm. Charlie Nicholas was a superstar in Scotland at the time and I, I was a good friend of his and we were we were around a lot together at Celtic. And then obviously I, I related a lot on how I thought Alex Ferguson dealt with Ryan Giggs when Ryan Giggs came on it. So for me, my only sort of reference point was to look back and see how did Sir Alex, how did Celtic deal with, with it at that time? And I used a bit of that to, to what it was, try to protect him. I hope probably looking back they would say it was the best thing. And I guess when you look on the other
0: flip side of that, you see what happened to Gazza because he didn 't probably go to mm-hmm. Sir Alex or, or, or yeah. one of those sort of people who would protect him, mm-hmm. and you see what could happen,
1: yeah well I think I think even probably from gaz 's day to where where uh, you know Wayne was with his agents, I think there was a there was a much better structure in place you know like the way of protecting and He wasn 't getting totally abused, but I had to make sure from the football side that you know Wayne was doing his work, he was preparing he was doing all his gym work he was he was making sure that his development as a young player was coming on. And then you sort of started to build this team, which
0: it, 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 it took on a, a sort of way about it where it just didn't know how to get beat, it didn't want to get mm. beaten. And, and, and characters like Tim Cahill, yeah. um, you know later on Phil Neville, yeah. uh, Tim Howard, these sort of play- when you look at those players,
1: who are the ones that stand out to you? Well the biggest thing I'd say is I actually think that Everton had really good characters, even at the start. You know, even at the start, I could go. I could start with the this players I had. I think all those players who were there on near enough day one to where I finished would all would all say they they, they were Everton players. I don't think any one of them would say wouldn't want to say that they were an Everton player. Even you know right at the start, some of the players, even Steve Watson and some of the ones uh, Pustoni at the start, going right all the way to the players you've mentioned like Phil Neville and Tim Cahill. So. But I think that the big thing was we had really good characters in it. And I've said this a few times recently, Al. I've said that when I first came in, I didn't really care who they were. You know, they, they got the treatment, whether it, was, whether it was the top one or whether it was the bottom one, they got the same treatment. You know, and I didn't, I didn't differentiate whether you were a superstar or whether you had 100 caps or not. You were, you were all treated the same in my eyes. And, and I demanded it be a team set-up And I think, in a way, that's why I was probably, uh, with real respect, needing to say, well, no, Gaza, no, you're probably too old now for me, David Ginola, you're probably too old for what I needed at the start. But a lot of the other players went the journey, you know, people in the early days, Rosinski, Campbell, you know, as we mentioned, Watson, and and, uh, and and then we had people who were still blooming like David now, and Stubbs were in there early Gary Naismith people like that were all in their early early stages with me so I think from day one up until the, the sort of the Tim Cahill Phil Neville era I still think all those boys played a big part in the journey and how significant was Nigel Martin you mentioned the goalkeeper yeah. earlier because I know it means a lot to you, doesn't it, that signing? Oh, Nigel Martin. I get asked all the time who was my best signing, and I think that people are telling me there's been polls, and you know, was it Tim Key. was it Mikel yep. Arteta? You know, hey, and, and don't get me wrong, we made lots of bad signings as well. There's no, there isn't a football manager out there who doesn't make bad signings. But I've got to say, I think we got a majority right. But Nigel Martin for me, because I always look at it, you know, sort of bit pound for pound, you know, what what was the best value? Nigel gave us incredible stability defensively he cost us just about nothing I think from Leeds United he was probably seen as a wee bit had maybe gone over the edge at Nigel eh, at the time but he was an international he came he gave us real stability and he was a real down to earth great lad to work with character great character around the place and I think Everton had grown up with great goalkeepers you know yeah. Neville Southall and, and the ones that Everton had had you know I, it's difficult you couldn't put them in a comparison in any way but for us at the time Nigel was, was a great signing and gave us a real thought well he's here for a few years and we don't need to worry about this position too much how, how have um, and we'll talk a little bit about the later years but how, how do you
0: think players have changed now because I mean we look around and we hear all these stories about player power and mm-hmm. I mean have are modern day players very different to those players you mentioned the Lee Carsleys mm-hmm. the Nigel Martins
1: mm-hmm yeah I do because I think that the the players in those days would have you know they were probably a bit easier they could have taken a balcon they knew they knew they were going to get it at times but they got their praise as well and I think they took a lot of things they didn't there wasn't as much social media about at that time there was obviously media and, and you know lots of media scrutiny but I think the players then were you know sort of knew they knew when they'd perform well when they hadn't they knew when to put their head down and look at the floor and when they, they could stick their chest out because they performed perform well. I think there has been a, a generation change. I think that all the players in our days would have come with any problems or any misgivings to the manager directly. And I think they had a bit more sense. I think nowadays a lot of them will hide behind their agents or they might even hide behind going direct to the CEO or even to the owners nowadays. And because of the the change in owners in football and the change of sort of the way club structures are, whether you have a sporting director, whether you're a CEO, a lot of them feel this is the direct route and if I've got a complaint, rather than in our day, it would have been you're not in the team, well, go and speak to the manager. Now they might find other avenues to, to try and find and complain about it.
0: It's, it's a good point and that, that I wanted to ask you about that relationship in particular about you with you and Bill Kenwright and, but, but more generally as well about that relationship I know at every foot, good football club I've been around, there's always that connection between a manager and whether it's a CEO or whether it's the chairman or, or whatever, there's always that bond between those two is that gone now do you think? Or, and, and also, how was it with, with you and Bill?
1: No, I don't, I don't think it has gone I don't think it's gone at the really good clubs and the really successful clubs. I think it's gone at the clubs who are trying to be that. I think the really successful clubs have owners who say, don't come to me, deal with the manager. Or the good CEOs say, don't come to me, go to the manager. I I can't honestly believe that, say for example, and I I use Sir Alex, uh, do you really believe that a player would go to David Gill over Sir Alex in their day? I can't (laughs) see it. So for me... I don't believe MD, even at Manchester City, would go above Pep Guardiola's head at the moment to the CEO or to the owner, because I think the, C- the owner would say, away you go. So I actually think that the really successful clubs and the really good ones don't entertain it. And uh, it's sad that I do, that's the way I see it at the moment, but uh, I do hope that... Uh, that You know, it keeps normal and they, and they go to the right reporting lines. And, and your relationship with Bill, what, uh, what was that like? Well, again, going back to if, if I'm talking to, to young coaches now, you know, we always say, you know, you're going for an interview for a job, or the, the most important thing is that you interview the owner because you need the owner to know or the chairman to know you've got a relationship. I had a brilliant relationship with Bill, and I think a lot of Evertonians over the years might have thought, what's well, happening here, David and Bill here, mm. but I'll tell you what the relationship we had done great things for the club. I forced Bill all the time to keep pushing the boundaries. And Bill kept encouraging me and kept, you know, when I was low, kept giving me a lift. And so in a, in a way together, we worked together. Bill used to phone me, uh, he never asked for the team, never asked for anything, understand, trusted me. I would have phoned him on the way into the game on a Saturday. How are you doing? He'd say, How are you feeling? What's going you know, on? I says No, boys are good. I think we're in good order this week. We've been good. Great. And then we would phone in the way home after the game, quick call. And he knew, you know, if I lost, he was always really good. If I won, he was really good. And I always used to say, We needed owners who didn't get too high when you win and too low when you lose. Because if you get that way, then it becomes, so what's the balance going to be like? Bill was great at it. Uh, me and him I think over the years had a brilliant relationship and was that the strength of it that you would
0: challenge him he would challenge you you both mm. sort of
1: you know, wouldn't, well, wouldn't just
0: be a nice
1: relationship no, no. I've got to say it, we were tough but I remember when I joined Everton uh, Bill said to me he says David I'll only ever be able to give you £5 million a year to spend I says yeah okay I says but here's my conditions Bill my conditions are that you don't sell any players without my permission and I can do anything I want as far as prepara- preparing the players. If I decide I want to take them to America, or I want to go to five star hotel. I want to take them up the mountains. I can do anything. And he says, "No problem, David. We shook hands on that deal, and we never we never changed. Bill never changed. I was lucky that I got more than five million to spend, but it was money that we raised through runs in the cup or selling somebody or whatever reason. And. Uh, and that's how sort our of relationship worked. I'm just looking at some of the, the the
0: great moments, you know, and obviously you remember the cup finals and and, and the, the, you know the great semi final with the penalty shootout with Jags and mm-hmm. you know and and um, one of the one of the days I think I certainly remember is the day against Newcastle when we qualified for the Champions, Champions League, League and, and yeah. you know the atmosphere around Goodison at that point was just fantastic. Well, and, and what what did that mean to you as a manager? You know, first of all, how proud were you? But well, also, did you feel
1: we can kick on from here mm-hmm. there was always something with me I'm getting goose pimples when you think thinking about it but I've got to first of all say that there was always something with me where I, I expected that I didn't see it as being oh this is an incredible achievement this is what I was expecting I was expecting it to, to keep going and, and us to be successful I knew we had limitations because of what we had to spend maybe the, you know, the level of players we had you know but in general, I didn't go into any game ever thinking that we were we were worse than the opposition. I always thought that. Nah, expect us to get a result here today. But I think the Newcastle game when we beat Newcastle, and about if you remember the evening game, probably about a month in, in that month we had to beat and we beat Manchester United one yeah. 0 yeah. Duncan scores the header. So now, can I tell a wee bit of a story here? You on, can. On Absolutely. Actually, I was I was fortunate enough to do some television with with uh, with Andy Gray and Richard Keys mm-hmm. out in Qatar. And Andy Gray puts his phone on and he shows me the game against Bayern Munich at right. at goodison yeah and it shows Andy's goal mm. and you should see the crowd mm. oh wow the, the, it focused in on the crowd it was it was it was unbelievable mm. there wasn't a person not getting tossed up there so going back to our game against Manchester United that night. I watched it recently and it was the exact same.
0: So we'll move it on a bit, David. We'll look at the sort of, has it come to the end? and How did you,
1: when you heard of interest from Manchester United, how did you deal with that yourself? Well, I only heard of interest from Manchester United one month before the end of the season three weeks before the end of the season it was really it wasn't as if I knew about and I think a lot of people suggested that I knew or something was said there was nothing said you know and, and uh, that was it and actually my biggest concern was I was getting into my last year of my contract and it was my choice because Bill had wanted me to stay it was my choice because I was a bit worried that know I've been here over 11 years now have I overstayed my welcome I don't want to be I don't want to be in any way holding the club back if the club thought it was getting held back by me or if they thought they could do better I didn't want people to feel that way and I knew what football was like and uh, we were we were generally me and Bill we were just sort of deciding and I knew that that season we weren't going to have much cash Bill had told me there wasn't going to be much cash in the way the money was coming in and when it was coming in it meant that we probably wouldn't get it till near enough the next January and I'm saying my goodness I'm going to have to try and do this again with the same and we were I wouldn't say we were ageing because the next season went on to prove that they weren't you know because no you know Silvan was getting a bit older Tim Howard was getting a bit older uh, and it meant that you know we were beginning to see we, we might need to replace these players again so for me when Man United phoned It wasn't an easy choice But it wasn't something What uh, I felt that I was probably For lots of reasons Maybe making the right decision for, On in, on everybody's side And actually I got an incredible send off At Goodison I really did And I think Everybody probably saw That it was a You know We'd been on a great journey And And when I look back How, how good the team was Which everyone went on to prove The next season And And uh, how good they were there was a, there was an exceptional team uh, at Everton there really
0: was Well I don't think anyone could look and say you could turn Manchester United down I mean I, th- I think any any sane football fan would understand that mm. that was a job which you had to take
1: Well I think there's probably a lot of Evertonians who said that you, <laughs> you, you would do but I, I, I think generally if I thought I was if I had been doing it, I was if I was breaking contract or doing something, but it wasn't that. It was, it was well aware. My only disappointment was that I, I'd have liked to have dealt with it much better with Bill on the way out. But it was only because Sir Alex had said to me he was retiring and, and, he'd, and it was only a month before the end of the season or three weeks before the end of the season. In my biggest job, all I could think about was how could I finish above Liverpool in the league? And we had to play Liverpool at Anfield. Uh, and I knew I had to go to Anfield and at least not get beaten at Anfield, and we did do, and uh, and it sort of, so it wasn't as if in any way it, it changed my focus or how we worked or anything. Far from it, uh, because I wanted to make sure that we we finished strong, and we did do. I it was a difficult time at Manchester United, but did you enjoy it, the whole experience? Yeah, I don't think you could ever turn around and say no. I think, I don't think, uh, I think you have have to have done something well enough to to be to get the Manchester United job in the first place and uh, I think what I got was because of the success is we'd had it ever, until ever and the way we'd built the club and the team our recruitment uh, our policies of what, the way we played young players and we brought people through I think all those things actually worked in my favour of what maybe a Manchester United manager had it looked like and I think that was probably the reason uh, it came around um, just looking now at Everton
0: now what do, what do you make from, a, from afar You know, when you look at the job it's been a turbulent few yeah. years hasn't it really and I think that's like any football club when there's transition and when there's change so much yeah. it's difficult isn't it
1: yeah. Earlier on in this podcast when I spoke about Andy Gray showed me the night against Bayern Munich I mentioned the night we beat Man United to qualify for the Champions League I was watching the games midway through the season and I said this is nothing like the goodies and I know, or like the supporters I know. I thought they were sitting in their hands, and I had seen them jumping around, you know, as if it was, you know, we and they had something to be proud of. Uh, I think come the end of the season, I think the the supporters were all happier, certainly much happier. Ever and got some really good results, and I think there was signs of that coming back. But I think those days which I mentioned, I think there's a bit to go to get back to that. Certainly, my days could never touch Andy Gray's days and the and the team they had there. But I I think that a couple of the nights I think Everton are still looking for some of those really great nights and really great days where it's something the supporters will will stick with them. Maybe this season with the beat Manchester United four nothing might have been might have been the closest they've come to this year. But fans have, have said under
0: your management ship, you know we had an identity we knew who we were we knew what we wanted to achieve and and it seems that it, over the last few years it's lost that Everton is that, is that something you'd agree with do you think?
1: Well I think, I think if you continually change your manager you find it difficult to have an identity I always used to think about how our, how our identity would keep evolving you know go back to where we were at the start you know Lee Carsley's, Tommy Gravison's, you know, uh, really top players, but then to the team we had at the end, the team we had at the end could could mix it. No, we were tough, but you can't tell me that Osmond, Pina, Arteta, you know, couldn't play. You know, just in the same breath, you know, you, you know, if you said to us, you know, could we knock the ball into the box from crosses on Cahill or Fellaini? we had a bit of everything at the time and we could play in whatever, whatever we needed to do and we could try and find a game plan to win any games with the group of players we had and quite often we did I remember a period not quite at the end where we were without centre forwards we had to play without them we would Cahill and Flaney playing as sort of you know we no strikers and we were winning games we were finding ways you know we we evolved we ended up with a team which, had, which I would have called false wingers where maybe Aussie would come on off the right, or Mikel or Pina and we found different ways of of uh, of playing. So I think our our identity changed, but what couldn't change is what you do at Goodison. I don't think you can step back off the play at Goodison. I think the supporters demand you know you're expected to be committed, your energy levels have to be high, commitment desire, all the words which are quite easy to say are nearly sort of they're written in the stadium and if you don't if you don't have that to start then you've probably better not been there.
0: How difficult is it to be a manager
1: these days? I think it's got harder because of lots of the things we've talked about, like owners and, and where football isn't and maybe social media, maybe players to a lesser extent. I think it's not a job now where I had eleven years at Everton. I don't think it's a job now you're going to thinking, hey, this is this is a job I'm in for life. There's not necessarily that, or not so much not a job for life, but a job for a long period. I think the managers are jumping about the jobs more more often, but uh, it's still a great it's still a great job, and it's something which uh, you know I hope to continue doing. I was going to say, did you talk about that bug. Have you still got the bug? Well, I've got the bug. The bug will never go away. I watch games. I'm I I'm lots of games. I, I watch things at UEFA, all sorts of things. So, uh, I'm I'm busy, and I want to keep it up if I can. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool
0: Echo. Well, there we are, a very honest and open interview there with David Moyes. And I'm sure, as he says there, you'll not see a manager spending 11 years at one Premier League club very often in today's game. Well, as David mentioned there, David Unsworth scored the first goal of his time at Everton. And this week I went to Finch Farm to sit down with Unsie and we began with that goal against Fulham over 17 years ago. So, David, f- f- let's go back to that time when uh, David Moyes arrived at the club. And,
2: of course, we all remember that first goal after, what was it, 20-something seconds? Six, I think, 26 seconds. People say it was 27, but uh, I-, I always say it was 26. Uh, great day. Um, David came in, actually, the day before. came in on the Friday morning. Uh, um, I think he signed on the Thursday night. And he um, came in on the friday morning and i I always remember his first session because i was I was always one of the first players in to Belfield um oh, you always used to get in early, and I remember I got in about half eight, which is early for a player, I can assure you um and the pitch was already set up full of mannequins, cones, and it was like wow you know that's that's new, you know um. And then he he introduced himself, and then we went into the little porter cabin. Then we had at the side of the training ground, which was which doubled up as a analysis suite, and we we all sat there, and he and he showed us, um, you know, his take his analysis on on Fulham, very detailed. We were in there a long time. Can't exactly remember how long, but when we finally uh, finished in there, we went out onto out onto the pitch and everything was you know set out really really well and uh, we went from session to session and the detail of, of his first training session his knowledge of Fulham um, and then obviously the day after when we beat them was it was a it was a, a moment when you, you look back and you think this guy knew knew his business and he knew his knew his stuff and uh, he got us going straight away he was very much a young manager wasn't he And and didn't come with
0: you know that much experience in management he'd been at Preston North End I think Um
2: how did the, some of the senior players you know sort of take to that was, was there any problem in that respect uh, no there wasn't because the senior players were good senior players and, and want, all wanted to do well for, for Everton Um I probably knew a little bit more about David than, than, than a few of the other lads because being a Chorley lad you know uh, born in Preston you know, I I'd follow Preston North End, so I knew about his his rise, uh, Preston's rise under him, um, and how well a job he had done. He he'd done it um, at Preston, so I knew a little bit about him. Um, and then I think uh, football is a, you know, they're quite welcoming footballers, and as soon as we trained with him in his first session and we, we we saw how detailed and how good the training was and then you back that up with a result uh, at home um, footballers will very easily then fall in line and and, 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 and go along with you with, with for the journey um, and, and then we won the second game so it really you know he turned us around instantly like, like a flick of a switch and it reminded me of Joe Royal's uh, first sort of managerial Week or two at Everton where he did a similar thing, so you know, similarities between Joe and David. Um, and he and he got us going, he got us playing. He, he said in his interviews, you probably just heard there, um, that
0: nobody was any different, he treated everybody exactly the same, no matter what your name was, who you were, how you know, successful you've been with the club. And did, did do you remember that sort of sense at the time?
2: Yes, um, well, I mean, we had you know, senior players, the likes of you know, the Gascoigne, mm. himself, Stubbs, Weir, Campbell, um, you know, big personalities in the change room. So yeah, I, I would I would I would go with that. Yeah, he, he treated us all the same. He was fanatical about coaching and um preparation and detail and to the point where I'd not seen that level before in my in my time. Um but worked under great Managers in in Joe Walter Howard, but they were different. David was very much a manager who coached, uh, who was took all the training every day, even took the warm up, even told us what to eat, really? even told us what to wear. So that so that was a that was new to us, uh, but I liked it. I I thought he was a fantastic coach. I started to think about football a little bit differently and started taking notes on his sessions, set some sessions that I still do today uh, with our boys. Um, you know, the detail in it, his preparation, his analysis pre-game was, was, was terrific. And one thing I, I don't think gets mentioned enough is his partnership with Alan Irvine. I thought Alan Irvine was a magnificent appointment at the same time as when David came in. And um, the two of them, for me, uh, were up there with Joe Royal, Willie Donaghy, Howard Kendall, Colin Harvey I thought they worked brilliantly together and I can't pay them enough praise um, for what they did on the training ground I thought it was fantastic You alluded to it there did you take a
0: lot from his management style his coaching style into your management style?
2: His it's coaching style definitely I liked his sessions I liked his, the intensity of his sessions there was never a lazy day there was never a you know every session was intense uh, was meaningful. You know, there was no generic days where you would just go out and play a five side. Everything was geared towards the success of the team and the team's shape and selection and, and and the opposition that you were about to play. So that was that started not my interest probably in in coaching both David and Alan Irvine because I thought they were great coaches. Um, I spoke to him about this
0: as as we just heard, and I said, you know, I've spoken to ex players who played for him in the past, and you know, he had this whether he likes it or not and, and we talked about it you know he had this sort of way about him of being a disciplinarian and, and a strict and and you know a hard taskmaster um but every ex-player so I, I used to ask ex-players and say you know what what is it that you you know ha, why do you play for him the way you do you know because he's got that and, and they all said the same thing he made you want to play for him did you have that with him
2: yeah yeah I, I definitely um I I think Dave's a great guy. Mm. I, you know, and I and I think he did a great job here. Um at a time when we needed somebody of David's personality and enthusiasm and probably fanaticism of of coaching and and the way the the way the club w- was at that time, we needed, you know, David's desire and drive and commitment more than ever. Um and he, he his training was good and I think players Good, honest professionals, good players, top players will always go along with that. Um, When the training is interesting, different, detailed, um, intense, you know, you put all those in the mix um, and you can't not want to play for a manager or a coach that is like that because, you know, his, his sheer desire on his own, you know, brought you with him. It it sounds a bit obvious Doesn't it That players And I've noticed this From being in the game
0: Players want to be coached They actually yeah. want that You know and, and and I know that sounds A bit obvious But it isn't that obvious Is it really
2: Yeah I think a lot of people Think that put footballers you know, I think then and now will Just turn up You know Play five a side For an hour Go home And and that's your job done, Well, it, absolutely not. You know, this this you're in early. You know, you you detailed. You you're doing different things. You're doing different elements of your game. You're in the gym. You are back out. You know, we worked very very hard under David Moyes. You know, and and I think I think the the different teams he had at the start, probably in the middle, just probably when I left, and then obviously his team at the end. You know, the we would all as players turn around and say we've probably never worked as hard under under David Moyes um, I certainly haven't worked as hard or trained as hard as I did under any other manager than David um, pre-seasons were really really tough, I mean as, as tough as I can ever imagine um, and like I said I, I, I've i stolen a few sessions from him in pre-season, <laughs> what I still do now with our boys, so um, very challenging, but yeah you're right players, players want that challenge, they see the desire in the manager and if you're a good pro, you know you always want to better yourself, and um, you know we had we had a, a lot of good pros at that time. And in all his reign, I think David would say the same. You know, he was very fortunate enough that he inherited a, a decent bunch. He added to it. He, he recruited really well, not just good players but good lads as well. And um, you know, he made I would say the majority of his players better in the time that he worked with them.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: So fine words about uh, his former manager there from David Unsworth. And we'll be hearing a lot more from Unzi a little bit later on in the podcast uh, about that incredible season for his under-23 side. Double winners, of course. Now, flowing black hair, a snappy suit and that French fleur. I can still recall the day when a certain Mikhail Madar walked into Belfield to sign for Everton. And despite some early goals, it didn't really all go as planned at Goodison Park. For the French international. When you arrived at Everton, I remember you coming into the training ground, and you had uh, yeah. a very particular look about you. You had the long hair, and did you feel as though <laughs> maybe you'd made it?
3: it was a bit special because uh, I came to 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 play in England, and for me, uh, for, for everybody, the, the, this country is the it's the best uh, the best country to play football, and uh, I was very happy. I want to score goals and, uh, and play well and stay a long time. But uh, I think just one year and uh, it was difficult for me. Do
0: you remember your first
3: goal? I think it was
0: away at Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, I remember. I, I think we won 3-1. <laughs> what was it like
3: to score that goal? Uh, for me, uh, uh, you know, it, it was incredible because uh, uh, all the time I, I signed in one team I don't know why, but I scored for my first <laughs> year. and it was the same for Everton with Everton, mm-hmm. and it was special because uh, we have uh, like uh, three or four thousand uh, uh, fans in the in the City Stadium, uh, Crystal Palace Stadium, and uh, for me it was uh, it was incredible because I never I saw that, you know, and. Uh, uh, I was very happy to start the the, the season and uh, with Everton and, and score my first goal and, and we win. It, it was a long time we don't win one, uh, That's one right. game. That's
0: right. And and do you remember a goal? I was watching some of your goals last night, and you remember a goal against Leicester City where Duncan Ferguson headed it and lovely volley. Remember that one. <laughs> How was it like playing with Duncan
3: Ferguson? What was it like playing alongside? He well, was a great, 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 great player, and great guy, and uh, nice person. I, I like him a lot. I like him, and I think uh, when the, the second season, when uh, uh, Walter Smith wants I, I leave, uh, I leave Everton. That's a shame. <laughs> I have, my, I have my daughter and she speaks English very well. Ah, right, okay, okay. <laughs> That's a shame, you know, to to li- to 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 live and and to doesn't uh, to not play for with uh, with uh, Duncan Ferguson. Ferguson another season, you know. Mm. I want to stay, but uh, uh, Walter Smith doesn't want. <laughs> no. No. <laughs>
0: let,
3: let me first. Talk you know when me. when we start the season. Yes. Walter Smith. We was in, uh, in Elam, and uh, I make six months with uh, I play six months for Everton, and he came, he came in my uh, bedroom to speak with me and to ask me if I want to leave, because we have uh, an opportunity for me to play in, in Spain again. And I said, "No, I want to stay to Everton. Mm. why you ask me? I make a good uh, six months last uh, last year. And I want to pay uh, i have two two years contract more, and you want I leave I don't understand and after this moment never uh, i pay never more i pay did that make you very sad? I was very sad yeah, because I want to stay a long time in England i like i like the i like the club i like the 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 city I like uh, my partners I like everything in England. Mm. But I need to leave because my manager doesn't want I pay. Mm. And and Howard it Kendall was, was,
0: the, Howard Kendall was very different, wasn't he? He he. I, I, is it true? Uh, it was, it, 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 is, is, it, is it true you would have a the cigarette? Best. You would have a cigarette with Howard? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I'm smoking before uh, when I I I'm not I'm not smoking now. <laughs> when I was player, I'm smoking. I don't know why, but it's like this. And uh, oh, it was funny because. Uh, uh when uh, when we play uh, uh away in London when we after the game when we come back with the bus uh we play cars and we drink uh glass and <laughs> beer and uh I don't want to smoke because uh, you know in France it's uh, it's not prohibited prohibition uh, prohibited prohibited you you can't, you know, you can't because it's not for the football player, you can't smoke normally. And uh, Oaf Kendall came to play card with us, and uh, with a big cigar, and he asked me, do you want to drink something? I said, uh, no, thank you, I don't I don't drink uh, alcohol. And he said, you can smoke, Michael, it's no problem. You want to smoke? I said, you, you think I can? He said, yeah, yeah, no problem, you can smoke. And I take my cigarette, wow. <laughs> and I smoke with my Kendall. It was crazy, but this man is is a crazy man, but funny man and nice person. I like him, and I was very sad when I know uh, he's dead. And uh, uh, it's a very good, good guy, very, very
0: good. Now I'm going to I'm going to remind you something later on in, in the time um, near the end when you uh, when you you talked about Walter Smith and not wanting you to play and and yeah. you, I remember for a while you were just walking around the training ground and you were saying yeah. alright la to everybody you know mm. <laughs> it was like a, it was like a Liverpool greeting.
3: Oh, like
0: yes. wow. All right,
3: you, you remember that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, life, <lad>. right. <laughs> you remember yeah, it doing was that? Funny because I remember. I remember not everything, but I remember a lot.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: Okay, well, now for our second half of the David Unsworth interview, and what a season his under 23 side have had a league and cup double and we started by discussing how the setup has changed from David's playing days and what we used to
2: call the reserves it's not a reserve team team as such Um, we are a lot younger and we don't get the drop down of uh, first team players senior players that you certainly did when I was an apprentice or a young professional Um, but there's no reason why you can't treat it like a reserve team where you plan and you work in a in a similar way to the first team uh, where you plan all week you you're detailed to you know then go into a game every week where you want to win you know that 's just the natural progression that these boys uh, are undertaking. What we might have to do and what we have done is 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 be a team before they go on loan so if we send a boy out on loan to league one league two, the championship like we have done you know numerous players. You know, there's a demand for that that individual player to play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, you know, all season, uh, and and they need to win. So our our job as under twenty three coaches um, is is enabling them to progress to be the best player that they can, but also to 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 give them the tools to hopefully a go straight to our first team. That's always the plan, but b Give them the tools and, and the Knowledge and the skills um, To Be able to compete uh, At football league level Maybe before they go into Our first team or, or That player might not be in our first team so it's to give him The tools to Have a career have, in the was, game I was going to say have a career Yeah. 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 Have a career in the game And, and I've not met a, a footballer Yet a young player at Preston where I've coached at Sheffield United, where I've coached, and and Everton, you know, where I still coach, that has played in our first team and hasn't had um, a a winning mentality, b a great desire to to improve, uh, and and c who's actually a really good human being. Um, all the players that I've had playing first teams at Preston, Sheffield United, and at Everton have had all those three traits, and it's no surprise that they go on and have great careers it's the ones who fail in one of those categories or two that unfortunately when they leave here you know they they just you know probably don't play again mm. I, I, but one of
0: the interesting parts is where, you know you talk about not having that the senior players coming down and playing is that a disadvantage do you think because I remember being on the bus with you um, in, I think it was 98 when you, you, you were out of the first team for a few months And and but the value and I remember the, the, the Jimmy Gabriel and people like that saying to me the value of having someone like you around on that bus for those few games that you were there in fact I think you won a, a Premier League yeah, it was a Premier League medal brilliant. because you'd, you'd had a couple of games and but the value of having you on that bus and people like Richard Dunn and people like that at the time could mm. speak to you and and understand and you were very good and I, even though I say so myself you know I was really impressed with the way you you helped. Is there a disadvantage to today's young players that they don't have that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very simple answer to to your question, Alan. It, yeah, it is a big disadvantage. So, and it's not going to change. We're not. We, you know, unfortunately, we won't. I don't think ever go back to that. The game's moved on, and it's moved on in a better way, um, and, and it has other, you know, advantages of why the game's moved on. So what we have to try and do when we look at that, and I look at that as, as, you know, that's a real great way to develop youngsters when see, you're playing alongside senior players. Um, so so we have to try and find a different way. The the other way that I would love us to have but we don't have in this country is the development of B teams, mm. Mm. which they do in every other major, you know, European country. And the advantage of that is probably even better than the old reserve team way of playing and the way of developing. But I'm, I'm sure it will come into this country at some point. I think we're years off it and um, because the, I mean, you know, the football league allowed us to go and the Checker Trade Trophy a couple of years ago, which is a fabulous competition that we love, and the you know the the hassle and palaver that that created at the time, um, just because we were entering a cup competition. So for us to be, you know, granted, you know, status in the football league as a B team, I, I think we're years away, which is a shame because. It would be an amazing development tool to to have that at our disposal. But so so what we do is we try and get our players, if they're not going to be going straight into our first team from under twenty three level, uh, the best opportunity to go out on loan. And there has been changes in the loan market recently, where you know they've they've abolished the youth loan, which was a month to month system, where you could bring players back now we have to go window to window so we we try and um, every every player's journey is 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 different and you know we talk and we have a lot of meetings about every individual and what's the best pathway for for that individual to to reach their potential but certainly um, using the the loan system is something that we do It's something that is part of our process to Giving these boys as much exposure to real, real life football as as they possibly can, um, you know. How
0: difficult a job is that for you to,
2: you know, map
0: out that road for them and and which club they go to? I guess that's a, a massive decision.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a decision that isn't just undertaken by myself, the manager, myself. Uh, you know, the, the scouting departments. You know, we all come together, and you you can usually you usually know. Um. After a period of time, what players whereabouts they are in their development, we've been doing it a long time. So, and and obviously the interest that that comes in from other clubs for the those individual players as well. What we always try to do is is enable these players to give them the opportunity to go out on loan, but also give them the the right club that they're gonna play. There's we've had we've had individuals who have gone out on loan and. It's not quite worked out the out for them and because they've not played, so you know if they're not going to play when they're out on loan there's no point in them going out there so what we try and do is 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 talk to the clubs and we we're, we're doing it a lot more and a lot better than we used to do. Talk to the clubs um about what they need and how serious they actually are on on taking our young professionals uh, on loan for a period of six months what's the what's the age where you can look
0: at a player and go yeah, he's going to be a player is there an age is it is there a time in that development where you think
2: yeah he's going to be a player well you know a good player from a bad player that's what I will say you know you know a player um, you know in the academy the academy are very good at keeping hold of of, of the best players um, and then probably when you 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 get into Paul's team at under 18s you know you're looking at them now uh, as 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 young scholars Maybe under sixteen, under eighteen, where you think they might have an opportunity to to develop into a professional player. Mm. Then, as they come into our group, you know, you're looking at them in pre season. Can they can they hit the physical stats that the players that have gone before them uh, are doing? Can they hit the physical stats that the first team are doing? Are they performing consistently well in the under twenty threes? Um, but you, you never really no 100% until they get that opportunity and that jersey in the first team So you can't look at a 9 and 10 year old and say he's going to be a player? Absolutely not Absolutely not. Even a Wayne Rooney you, you, and people like that? Well Wayne, I remember seeing Wayne at 14. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne is is a is a one-off There are exceptions. A, a massive exception yeah. Wayne, you know you I'm, you could tell a world-class player mm. but you could tell Messi at that age as well mean, yeah, but yeah. I'm talking about the players that come through, you know, 90 probably nine percent of the other players that come through to be professionals you know under 16 you've got a really good idea under 18 you, you've got even more of an idea and then and then what what you need then is a little bit of luck uh, a manager that believes in you who who is willing to give you the opportunity in this volatile world of of first team uh, football um, and it's it's a brave decision by, by whoever's the manager to give a young player that that debut. Um and then you just hope, you know, that that player then gets a run of games because we all need an opportunity at, at anything we, we do in life. But we also need an opportunity to do it for a period of time, uh, not just a one-off, you know. For me, playing for Everton now making a debut isn't enough for young players. We've done that. We've we've all experienced that. It's can a young player play 50 games. Mm until the young players play 50 games I don't think they've actually arrived at, at the club um, and, and and actually for themselves don't feel part of it until you've played a number of games I, I know I didn't I only really felt part of being a first team player at this club when Joe Royal came in mm-hmm. um, and, and it's, it's a great feeling
0: and it's one of the hardest parts of the job uh, because if you look at numbers wise only a few make it, don't they? In any club, it doesn't matter whether it's Everton or anybody else, only a f- certain amount, unless you you're back in ninety two and at Manchester United. But but you know, is that the hard, one of the hardest parts of the job when you see these players and you think, you know, you you not you're not gonna make it, you're not gonna make it,
2: you know, it is a hard I think I think he's saying not gonna make it, not gonna make it here yeah, at Everton. Yeah. I think that's I think you can soften the blow by players being successful. At other clubs or having a career out of the game, I think that's that goes down as a success as well because they might not have the potential to play in our, in our first team. Um, when it, when it does happen, like with John Joe, or with Tom, you know, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. feeling. Um, my best, yeah. uh, it, it's an amazing feeling actually. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget sat in the stands watching Tom score against Man City, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was just a great day. Um, and obviously, all the other boys that have gone before, you know, making the debuts, but. It, it the hardest bit is probably you know releasing a player um, and then that player not going on to at least have a career in the football league. That that's tough um, and it's never a nice day when you you have to release anybody from Everton Football Club. It's um, it, it's the worst bit of the job.
0: How good is the academy is the under 23s how good where where are we how, how does this compare to the last few years per se?
2: well I, I think I think we do a brilliant job I think the academy do a fantastic job I think we get get it right uh, in a lot of areas I think um, we are the envy of a lot of clubs uh, a lot of top clubs in the country The certainly the feedback I get from from a lot of clubs is that we get it right we can always improve Um, we can always be better Um, but that's you're searching and striving then for perfection and I think we have such a dedicated um, amount of staff that are always looking for that perfection Um, and you know we'll always keep striving for that and to be the best Um, and I think we we have one of the finest academies I think I believe in the world um uh, you know they only have to look at our success um you only have to look at the the amount of people who want to work here um you know when we have a vacancy we are inundated with with applicants you know every former player leaves and wants to come back that's that goes without saying uh it's a very very special place and um to be part of of, of this club and to have gone through the journey myself, I think it's uh, it's great to have come through the ranks here and now to be helping, um, you know, try and produce, you know, the, the the players of the next generation.
0: How good is this group? I mean, I know you won't name names, but you know, how good is this group? Are you expecting to see two, three, four, whatever, you know, coming through into this uh, first team?
2: It's always the aim to see everybody fulfil their own potential. Um, we will certainly allow. And, and a, a large number of our players from last year to go out on loan next year that 's the next step in their development. There are a couple of players that have been allocated the um privilege of training with our first team next year for for the duration so that's that in itself is massive and then it 's up to them to produce the performances to to get in the team um we 've got a manager we 've got a director of football who want to promote young players who 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 have played young players um and you've got a dedicated staff underneath that, um, who just are totally and utterly dedicated to the success of our young players. You love it here, don't you? I do, yeah. I do. Someone <laughs> who've well, known it, you you it, know for, yeah. for how many years now, you know, but you do you love I, it. I love don't my you? job, Alan. I love I love um I love the challenge of uh, making players and staff better. Um I've been doing it a long time now, and I love it. And um, you know, we've had a lot of success here. I think that helps. Um, that that you that you know what you're doing. You know what it takes. You know the demands. You know the formula of of not just me. I'm talking about the the whole academy exactly. staff, uh, the whole under twenty three staff, the whole the whole department, the whole you know sports science, recruitment, everything that goes to producing the player not just sort of the finishing school of the under-23s, that the, we know what we're doing. And um, like I said, there's no prouder moment than when you see one of your own come through and play.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: Well, I think we can all rest assured that the youth set up at Everton and in particular the under-23 teams are in very good hands with David Unsworth. Well, that's it for episode two. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to all my guests and thanks to Everton for all their help as well. As always, up the toffees, speak soon.
1: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.